Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Techspansive, special Monday edition. We're going to uh, jump into all things Apple today with their uh, slew of announcements that came out today and, and really uh, coming after a slew of announcements last week. Uh, we have news on a variety of new services. Last week, we got news on a variety of new hardware updates and, and upgrades. Uh, Ross, you want to hit on some of the hardware, and then maybe I'll give you a, a quick flavor on some of the things we have saw in today's announcement. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're doing our part in terms of the timeliness coming in uh, right after the services announcements. But unfortunately, Apple was a week early with with the hardware announcements. We uh, we tried our best. Um, so last week uh, was uh, pretty extraordinary. Apple upgraded uh, just about every part of their hardware product line, uh, with the exception of iPhone, which of course comes out at pretty regular intervals, and uh, and the HomePod. Uh, their uh, their smart speaker. We saw new iPads, including the resurrection of the iPad Mini. Uh, the iPad Mini, the, uh, the the last time they came out with one of these, it used uh, their A9 processor, and I think they're now on their A12 processor, and they, they rev it about once a year. So that, that gives you an idea of how long it's been since we've seen an upgrade there. Many people thought that product was dead. <clears throat> we saw a new... Uh, iMac Pro. Uh, we saw uh, uh, eagerly anticipated new AirPods, which has become a hot category for for Apple. Uh, finally, delivering the wirelessly charging case that they had uh, discussed some time ago. And my takeaway, briefly from all of this, because we have a lot to chat about, is two really two things. It seemed like it would have been a natural to talk about all of these products. Oh, they also didn't upgrade Apple TV. Uh, but uh, to talk about all these products that are effectively the platform for all the services that they announced today, you know, so many media-centric services. And between the iPad and the AirPods, you know, you're really taking in a lot of the uh, the consumption devices between iPad and, and AirPods, the, the visual component and the audio component. So it would have been a, a great opportunity to talk about how these services work so great on Apple products, but I think perhaps in a nod to the street, uh, they didn't want to talk about hardware at this event. They wanted to focus on services as that represents the bold new revenue generation frontier for Apple, as uh, we've discussed uh, quite a bit on the podcast. So Sean, I'll, I'll ask for for your initial take on you know this has been building up for some time what did they deliver and how effective do, do you think it was well and so i wonder when you look at the hardware launches last week and kind of breaking from apple's traditional approach of using an event to launch new hardware and, and updates to hardware they used press releases uh, i almost wonder if they had it ended up having so much packed into today's sessions that they then decided to release those early. And, and obviously they had a slew of, of big name guests show right. up today. They had Spielberg and JJ Abrams, Reese Witherspoon, Reese Witherspoon. Steve Carell, Big Bird, Oprah, Jennifer <laughs> Aniston, you know, so I wonder if um, some of those were, were tentative 
leading into the event. And so they weren't sure how much, how much time was going to be dedicated to these guests. And ultimately when everybody confirmed and all of the schedules were set, they realized they didn't have enough time to cover some of the hardware. So they got it out of the way or, or to your point, perhaps they wanted to be very focused on their, their services. But I, I, I would agree with you that the beauty of an Apple service story is that it's a seamless experience with hardware and that it takes advantage of the 1.4 billion active iOS devices. That's why Apple can be in this, uh, in this space and why Apple can have a meaningful presence in the, the content world is because they've got 1.4 billion active iOS devices. Well, I, I would say, I think it, it depends a little bit on the service. I mean, certainly 1.4 billion users is a, a, a very nice platform on, on which to build. Uh, and I think on, for some models, like the credit card, uh, we'll, we'll go into, I guess, a little bit more in depth on what each of these announcements was. But one of the things Apple announced was a credit card, uh, which is based on Apple Pay, which is a iOS only platform, essentially, or Apple Watch, I guess, too. So, you know, that is a, a huge base off which to, to build a financial service, exactly the kind of high margin financial service that uh, Sean has been talking about. Uh, over uh, over a number of episodes, along with uh, with healthcare, and yet on other services, um, most most notably the TV service, particularly the aggregation play that they announced, they are going beyond their own platform, which uh, again is very typical for media, uh, and announced that they were going to offer this uh, aggregated TV meta service, this new Apple TV app, not only on smart TVs where you know, they don't have a direct presence because they, they don't make, you know, a, a TV proper, uh, but also to embrace some of the some of the competitors of Apple TV, uh, both in, in Roku and uh, and Fire TV. Yeah. So, so as you mentioned, just kind of summarizing some of the announcements, they have this aggregated TV um, aggregation platform, if you will, Apple TV app will receive its updates for channels in May. They also announced Apple TV Plus, which will be an ad-free subscription service. They announced Apple News Plus, which is building off of their texture uh, acquisition. It's essentially a, a Netflix for magazine. We'll have hundreds of magazines available for $9.99 a month, or, or presumably if they, if they keep with the texture pricing. Um, the app. Yeah, I think they did announce nine 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 yeah, ninety five a month or ten dollars yeah. a month. Yeah. Um, and so that will will um, the texture app will shut down at the end of May, right as this News Plus service starts to roll out. And uh, the company's promised access to three hundred magazines plus a group of of other news outlets. So we can talk a little bit about that. And then uh, finally, as as you alluded to, Ross, they announced a credit card, which you sign up for through the Apple Wallet app, and you get a digital card that you will presumably, if you're accepted, receive in minutes. Uh, the, the card isn't like a traditional credit card. It, while there is a physical card, it won't have a credit card number on it. It won't have no uh, stripe, no, stripe, no signature, stripe. no expiration yeah. date. No, uh, no you can, security code. No security code on the back. It can You can generate a card, a, a number, a 16-digit 
number if you need to. Um, and then the the aggregation of the purchased information, all of that is stored locally. So none of that will be shared from Goldman Sachs, presumably from MasterCard, it won't be stored in the cloud. So it'll be available to you locally and that will prevent potential ad targeting that um, you know that you're going to use they're going to actually use machine learning and and apple maps together in storing that data so that you can track purchases ac across categories and and be reminded of where you bought things and then in many ways it looks like a cashback card yep. that will give you three percent cash back for apple purchases and 2% cash back on other purchases. If you use the physical card in, a, in the store, it'll give you 1% back. So in many ways, it looks like uh, you know Am what Amazon has done in that space in having their own branded uh, own branded credit card. So those are those are the big announcements. Oh, you left uh, out a big one, Sean, the uh, Apple Arcade. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, we forgot yeah. to that's okay. move into the gaming Apple Arcade, which is, will be their gaming subscription service. Uh, so why don't we just jump back? We'll close the loop on the credit card since that's where we we kind of kick things off, or where I went into the most depth, and then uh, we'll, we'll move through some of the other services. And, and yeah. arguably, the credit card is the the least common denominator among these services. Everything yes. else is around entertainment, content, right. consumption. It, it feels to me almost as if somebody did the math, somebody working on the Apple wallet transaction team did the math and said, hey, you know, if this were our own credit card, <laughs> uh, look what we could capture here. Look how much is being transacted through this platform. And arguably that will continue to grow um, and so we could we could capture that. Also, there is clearly a cachet with Apple that they can leverage in this instance into these new areas where I would say credit cards are differentiated by the type of reward programs they offer. This one will be differentiated by the brand. Everybody is going to want to be clamoring for the titanium card and want to pull out their apple titanium card when they're out you know shopping and doing other uh, things titanium is the new black that's right <laughs> the, the irony is that they've made such a nice physical card uh for a what they had wanted just to be a digital service that right. i imagine we'll see that titanium card in the wild a lot more than mm. than you would expect for something that's really born digital well and it's um I mean, you, you really can't buy anything with it that you can't buy with Apple Pay, right? Because, you know, Apple Pay, you know, it, ha it has a chip, it has an EMV chip. So, uh, you know, like you like we said, it, you can't do MagStripe um, transactions with it. I mean, it it's essentially what you use if, if you don't have your phone with you. Yeah, that's that's about it. You know, that's the only time you really, quote, need it or or your watch. Well, before the watch was the thing you used, you know, when you didn't have your your phone with you. So now if you don't have your phone with you and your Apple Watch battery died, you, you can use this to uh, to keep things on your Apple Pay account. I, I, you know, sure. The thing is, you know, the, a titanium card, you know, perhaps the real revenue source is, is using it to uh, 
pick locks uh, and, you know, get into uh, uh, locked rooms and, yeah. and steal what's in there with, with uh, your titanium card. Uh, but um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the other thing, I, I think the privacy uh, thing, the, the, the privacy degree of privacy that's promised is going to be uh, the, the real differentiator. And uh, as we mentioned a little earlier, Apple is, you know, steadily, steadily building up their rhetoric uh, when it comes to privacy protection, I don't know how you market this without being explicit about the privacy uh, protection and saying that, gold, you know, they have told Goldman Sachs or they guarantee that Goldman Sachs will not sell or share uh, any of your transactions, period. You know, it has, it has nothing to do with whether you opt in or opt out or, you know, that you read page seven of, of the agreement uh, for the credit card, it's just not going to happen. So I would argue that that is, you know, I, I think the terms of the card, uh, you know, unless you buy a, a whole bunch of Apple product, uh, are, are pretty average um, compared to other affinity cards. Uh, so I, I think that the, uh, the privacy protection is its main differentiator. I thought we saw some good, uh, reinforcement of that across other services in in some but not so much in some of the other services so we can we can use that as a as a bit of a segue um any any other any other thoughts about this or or the leveraging of privacy in the announcements today uh, no and i presume that same thing they announced that mastercard would would handle the the uh you know the transactions on the back end right. they also have a very large and lucrative data, data. and, and yes. service business, which is very data analytics business. MasterCard so, advisors. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably, um, they also won't have access to this, you know, this data. Right. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how meaningful that becomes. I, I would say that your average credit card user today probably doesn't necessarily feel the the impact of that to today that may right. be different in years to come i think where they see targeting from retailers is from providing the retailer with their their own information or in the case of like a target where you're using the the target branded credit card i'm sure there's uh, obviously sharing that's that's taking place there mm -hmm. so that they can better curate an experience for you so it will be interesting to see how meaningful that piece is for the user. It, it's clearly still an area that I think is in its its nascency, that, that we're going to see more purchases move to the phone, more purchases move to the app. Um, and, you know, I think they're positioning themselves to be a bigger piece of that, of that value add. It isn't just privacy, but it's also moving more of the transactions through something that that Apple monetizes. Right, right. It is. Uh, it's definitely a more of a gateway. And the the paradox is that even though they've had to quote revert to a physical card that they claimed was obsolete, uh, it, it's really a gateway uh, back to the phone in, yeah. in many respects. I mean, sure. and I think if you look in Asia, what's happening in Asia with with apps like WeChat, where you buy yep. everything through the app, uh, that uh, Apple sees that, and and Apple has long looked at what's happening in China and mm -hmm. 
co-opted some of the the things that work best in China into some of the services that we've seen deployed here. Uh, and so, you know, you saw them perhaps first in, a, in WeChat environments or other environments, and then they move into an Apple environment. This is clear in, clearly an area where Chinese consumers are transacting more digitally. They're doing more in-app purchases and, and Apple can move more consumers there. And I think there's also the entire space of peer-to-peer purchases and, and sharing right. the Venmos of they the world. They have done some work there, yeah. That, yeah, that Apple could extend this whole market to once, uh, you know, once they get the economics to work. So I think we'll definitely see Apple doing more in in that space. And I think that's an area that will, will grow significantly in the U.S. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's shift over to the TV uh, stuff a bit because because that grabbed a headline, a lot of headlines. There were kind of two angles to it: this TV aggregation play that we talked a bit about, the TV app, uh, the upgraded TV app that's going to get rolled out uh, later later this year, I think. Uh, yeah, and the, Apple and TV Plus. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say the key there is that you can watch everything within a single app without being pushed to a third party app. Right. So and can... it's, it's sort of addressing the, the ill that they created with the proliferation of all these individual apps for all these TV broadcast channels and, and, and services. So I think it's a recognition that that's not the optimal way to to watch video. Yeah. And you see some of their competitors already doing it this way. Amazon Prime is the key example where you can yep. have access to HBO within the, the Prime environment. Right. So uh, Apple is is doing that same thing and moving in the same direction. And they'll have channels like HBO, PBS, CBS, but no they Netflix. won't have Netflix. No so Netflix, Netflix yeah. is going to stay, at least for now, outside of this Apple TV environment. And uh, very, very reminiscent for me about when they launched, uh, for when they launched Apple Health and Fitbit was the outlier you know, and said, we're good. You know, we, we've got our own installed base. We're the leader in the space. And uh, no thank you in terms of uh, coming on board to the Apple Health platform. I think we saw kind of a similar respectful uh, decline, declining from Netflix. Uh, Reed Hastings apparently saying Apple's a great company, but, but we're doing our thing. But the thing is that over time, you're swimming more upstream. If you are outside this app environment, discovery becomes more difficult. You, um, uh, you know, presuming it's successful to find. Okay. <laughs> do, what, do you see anything that that indicates it? It, it wouldn't be, or I, I mean, I just you know, I think if it's broadly, I, I think clearly it's a good move to make it available through smart TVs, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, places where they. They, uh, you know, it's not just Apple centric devices. So that's an interesting take. And they clearly want to change the experience across all of these devices. I think there's still a lot of consumption that will take place outside of this environment, though. And so if you know you want to go to Netflix or you know you want to go to you know, Amazon Prime or, or one of these, then uh, chances are I think you'll just go directly to the, the source. Um, I know in, in my household, there's a lot of YouTube consumption that takes place. And so, uh, you know, all of that is clearly going to happen outside of, of an Apple TV environment. Sure. And I, 
I don't know that I see my household anytime soon going to uh, the you know an Apple TV app for for consumption. I would well, say I, that I would, go ahead. The, the just the pattern isn't built into how we live our lives today. Fine, I, I would agree. You know, they are coming into a, a status quo. Um, but I would argue a couple of things. First, sure, on Roku, on a Samsung smart TV, they're not controlling the portal. They're not controlling the user interface. They are at a competitive disadvantage when it comes to being the main aggregation uh, vehicle for those platforms. Those platforms are simply meant to extend an experience that will be primary on iOS devices. So, you know, we, we've talked about the integration. I think this is going to be the, and this will come up a bit if we talk about Apple Arcade. Uh, this is going, you know, this is going to be iOS first service and will become the primary gateway to television, I think, on, on iOS. That is good enough uh, to get this thing off the ground, I think. Uh, and yes, sure, if I'm not an Apple user, if I'm not an iPhone user, it's ridiculous for me to turn on my Vizio smart TV and go right to the Apple TV app. But if I am, then this is kind of a natural extension. And now to the other point about going straight to the Netflix app, sure, maybe Netflix, maybe HBO have the kind of established brands and the strength of original content where people are drawn to them, you know, they know, oh yeah, Game of Thrones, that's HBO, or, you know, Orange is the New Black, uh, that's, uh, that's Netflix. But I have to say, you know, with a landscape, programming landscape, far more stratified uh, and decentralized than it has ever been, very often I've heard about a hot show and, you know, I can't remember what, what service it's on. Uh, so uh, it's, I suppose it's no surprise that uh, a, a lot of the, let's call them, you know, second tier services signed on, as is often the case. Uh, but I think there's a, a lot of stuff that's on Netflix <clears throat> that people don't necessarily associate very strongly with being on Netflix. And you mm -hmm. know, maybe they search for it on, uh, on, uh, on the TV app. And Apple says, you know what, you're looking for, uh, you know, political drama. Instead of House of Cards, why don't you, you know, why don't, why don't you look at uh, Designated Survivor or, or something like that? So. Yeah, well, and I think if they can get two things right, if they can get search right, then this could become the de facto app that everyone goes to, the portal into content that everyone goes to. If I can search for something and it will show me online where it's available. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then that also well, there's becomes, value there, I agree, yeah. Tremendous value, and also there's tremendous value for the individual channels. So if I can see, hey, that's available on HBO, but I don't have a subscription for that, and I can subscribe right there and then, sure. then that's a very powerful uh, platform for these for these channels to be on. Mm -hmm. And then two, it's queuing up what's trending, and and I look at how I use and my household uses Amazon. Uh, Prime today or how we use Netflix, we'll go on if we decide we want to watch a movie. Sometimes we know what we want to watch, but a lot of times we're going to see what's been added or what's trending mm -hmm. and what, you know, what are other people using? So we're relying on that, if you will, that artificial intelligence. And if, if Apple can, can deliver something of comparable value, 
then I think that has some promise. The question is, does their stronghold to privacy hinder it from talking about what's trending across platforms? Well, yes. Yeah, well, so they certainly said they're going to use machine learning to make recommendations. I think they essentially do that today on uh, on Apple Music. Uh, they'll probably do it on uh, the the Apple News uh, service as well. Mm-hmm. The uh, so yes, that was you know given how strongly they talked about the privacy protection uh, for the financial transactions and the, uh, the the magazine service. I would have liked to have seen more discussion of that uh, for for a lot of the TV stuff. Um, that said. People are probably a little less concerned about people knowing what TV shows you've watched, particularly in an advertising-free service, right? That's that's where it, it really becomes important. If you're paying a subscription for these services and, and there's no advertising, then there's probably less value to the suppliers in knowing data about you. Uh, so so maybe that's why it's, it's less of an issue for a premium uh, advertising free service. So like, like this, this TV app or many of the services that come with it, like HBO or, or that can work with it, I should say, like HBO, Showtime, Hulu, uh, et cetera. So, so I guess, you know, if they're not allowing advertising, I guess all they'll offer is the premium version of Hulu at, uh, whatever it is, $12 a month, as opposed to $8 a month. Yeah. Well, and if you, you know, carry this on and and think about uh, Apple TV Plus. Yes. How do you see these two tying together? Uh, You know, I, I, I think the reaction to Apple TV Plus, despite the star power, the reaction to the shows themselves was a bit underwhelming. Um, And I think that's somewhat to be expected. Sure, it was a long time ago, but some of the original programming on on HBO, on Netflix, was a little less than compelling. <laughs> uh, some of the early stuff on Hulu, you know, before they uh, struggled with uh, *Handmaid's Tale*, was uh, you know not not embraced as as strongly, either popularly or critically. So, uh, you know. And, and also coming in so late, I think there's an element that they need to look beyond some of the uh, saturated categories. Uh, now, that said, they've, they've got a dystopian um, sci-fi show. Uh, they've got, um, you know, a, a comedy uh, about a, a TV show, you know, which has been a, a formula that's worked very well for for 30 Rock and, and Nightly News and, you know, a couple of other uh, shows in that vein. Um, they've got, uh, um, they've got, you know, something very timely in terms of uh, uh, this Little America show that looks at, um, you know, the lives of immigrants doing, uh, you know, essentially ordinary life stuff. Uh, and, you know, they didn't show any clips, which, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, so we, we don't really have a great feel about what the what, what the flavor of these shows will be. Uh, but I think if, if App, Apple Music is a indication, 
what it allows them to do is to offer extended trials uh, and let people see if it's for them. It, you know, it's a big step up from carpool karaoke uh, and Battle of the Apps, which right. were, you know, their, their original forays into original programming. So, yeah. you know, they've got some good talent and uh, the, the first round may not be a big hit, but you, you keep plugging at it. So, yeah, all, and you learn. I mean, one to get you on the map. So, yeah, and they're they're expecting to spend two billion dollars on original content over the next year. Clearly, mm-hmm. they have agreements and relationships with some very big names. Oprah is going to have two documentaries and and others. So there will be names that people recognize. Uh, I to your point about not showing clips. I, I think that was perhaps a mistake or it's a, mm-hmm, certainly mm-hmm. a very interesting approach that is different than how Hollywood typically operates because right. in that it's not type of typical a, upfront yeah you would yeah. you would show you know several minutes of clips uh, and then that's what all of the the Hollywood pubs would be writing about today right they would be reviewing them and some of these have been in production since the fall so mm. they'll they'll be launching the next couple of months they certainly could have clips to show um, and you know I would have expected to see those my guess is we will see long-form commercials start to start to show up and appear that promote not only the service but promote the actual shows sure yeah, oh, and uh, to your point, I mean, there were a number of uh, well-known directors and actors in uh, the what I thought was very well done intro black and white intro film uh, for TV Plus that we didn't hear anything from yet. You know, mm-hmm. Ron Howard uh, and J.J. Abrams and uh, Octavia Spencer. Uh, so um, more more to come, uh, yeah. I'm sure. But uh, hey, it's a beginning. It's the beginning. Well, and I do think one of the interesting things that they're doing here is pushing the ability to take your shows with you and watch them right. anywhere. And I, I saw a, tw- a tweet from you today that talked about that that if that really catches on, or if that if that experience is seamless for the consumer, it's something that we'll probably see propagated in other services and other yes. platforms. And That's and a- it makes a lot of sense. Being able to do that, you know, thinking about taking your own devices on planes, yep. uh, where where planes have increasingly removed the the in flight ex, uh, yes. viewing experience and and then pushing that to your own device. Right. So this, this is something consumers who are flying a lot are already used to. Consumers who are flying with families and and that you know Apple really has a family friendly approach here. Um, so you could see that becoming very attractive. As mm-hmm. well, being able to to take content onto the devices, push them onto the devices, and then take them on the go. And that that I think is a good segue to uh, talk about Apple Arcade. Uh, there, you know, we had uh, talked pretty extensively about what an Apple gaming service might look like, uh, particularly given that there are a number of different models being explored right now. And essentially, what Apple announced was a subscription service that will curate. Uh, what had previously been games that you paid for a la carte. So they did a very nice job, I thought, of explaining some of the differences between uh, games that earn revenue by ads or in-app purchase versus uh, games that you pay for 
And it was it was kind of funny actually to to see them describe this because you can tell that Apple thinks, and you know, it's not just Apple. I think the industry in general thinks about uh, particularly in-app purchase, which has become such a dominant model, as uh, a necessary evil. Uh, a lot of focus on the evil because it uh, it forces you to compromise game mechanics in order to get people to keep buying stuff, right? Uh, whereas with a paid game, uh, at least in the Apple ecosystem, that doesn't have any in-app purchase, you pay up front and you're done and you get access to the full game and you can enjoy it and you can even play it offline because, you you know, you don't have to rely on that uh, constant pinging to, to prompt you to buy stuff. So, uh, so essentially what this is, I, I think 100 games maybe to start. Uh, I don't know if it keeps growing or whether they will rotate things in and out, but I, I think it's just going to keep growing. Uh, a library of uh, games that include no advertising, include no in-app purchases. And the way they uh, described the benefits was exposing developers uh, and I guess users to great games that would otherwise have a hard time reaching an audience uh, or seeing significant penetration because people are so reluctant to take a chance uh, on, on a game, even if they have to pay a couple of bucks to, um, you know, if they, if they don't like it, uh, if they decide after a week they don't like it, they, they really have no recourse. So, so this removes some of that risk. Uh, if you pay the subscription fee, we don't know what that is yet, but for the sake of argument, let's say about 10 bucks a month, uh, you, uh, you get access to this library and if you don't like one of the games, you move on and you go to the next one and you can play it all offline. So um, I thought that there's a little bit of risk in this because are you know by aggregating all these games, aren't you really appealing to the same people who would be likely to buy a game anyway? I mean, I, I tend to think that there's kind of this wall, this relative line in the sand between people who just, I will not pay upfront for a game and those who appreciate, uh, you know, willing to make the investment, if you will, uh, for a game that they consider to be well-crafted uh, and, uh, and has some, some good word of mouth. So maybe there's a little bit of risk of cannibalization, but I think in general, because uh, Apple can offer developers more of a guaranteed audience, they're more likely to produce things that are a little bit more out of the box. I mean, the games looked... Many of them looked very beautiful and innovative and different. Uh, and uh, you can see why some of them have had a hard time gaining traction. And thus, Apple, you know, they and Apple have had a harder time monetizing them. So this is probably not the dominant model for the foreseeable future, but I think it's good for the industry. I think anything that provides an alternative to in-app purchase is great for everybody, great for consumers, great for the game developers. Um, so, you know, and, and great for the industry. Because yeah, it, go ahead. And it will, it'll be interesting to see how this looks moving forward in a world that has been largely redefined by games like Fortnite. And, right. And so it'll be interesting to see how these two. Well, which is an ambitious model. Primarily. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it has been, I mean, phenomenally successful in-app purchase model. Right. So um, because it's been so successful, 
if you're a game developer, there's probably really strong motivations to move in that direction over being part of an online community where you know you're part of a subscription service. Now, there there was some talk about uh, I think it was related to Apple's arcade where they would pay the developers based upon a, a share of how it's Usage? being played. So Usage? I think that's that's a really interesting model. Right. Uh, so so I like that uh, you know we we're going to change the economics around right. some of this. And to your point, I I do think it's good for many of the developers and many of the games and and helps build out a robust ecosystem. Um, it will obviously help serve surface some of the most popular games within that system and and inevitably you know you've got a hundred plus games and more on the way that you'll end up with some blockbusters that that will be popular uh you know among among gamers so it'll be interesting they'll be, to, they'll be exclusive to that service so that should be interesting yes. too. And, you know also as parents right uh i i'm sure there are a lot of parents out there who love the idea of being able to provide high quality games for the kids without encountering advertising that they may not uh, approve of and without have and, and you know with the predictability uh, of not having to worry about in-app purchase so yeah, yeah. so looking across all of these services and we perhaps close with this why didn't we get any pricing <laughs> obviously these have been in the works for a for months now and and they've made commitments around some of the shows that they'll be launching and they've done financial forecasting yeah i mean they clearly they had to they've been building this out for for at least six to twelve months Mm -hmm. why why no pricing announcements when in the past we would have always gotten pricing announcements at these type of events right so i uh, so they did announce pricing for the magazine Uh, service, which again is kind of an extension of what I think texture basically was uh, per month. Uh, Here's my thought on at least the TV service, which is that uh, Apple does things on a global scale. And uh, Netflix, for example, has been experimenting with very low cost uh, mobile access to the service in uh, economies like India. So I think perhaps one reason we did not see or or hear about pricing today is because they want to retain some flexibility to price differently in different economies. I mean, a $10 a month service uh, is is just not going to fly in India, you know, Um, they, you know, particularly given the challenges that they have faced uh, selling their their phones there, you know. Or maybe another thing is they they feel like they need to build up more native content, uh, you know, to appeal to folks in those countries um, uh, before they can justify that that level of pricing. So, so the one I I guess I was a little surprised about was arcade. I, I think they could have had a lot more impact if they had announced pricing, but I would be very surprised if it were more than ten bucks a month. I would be also surprised if it were as low as five bucks a month. I don't think that's sustainable. So it's got to be somewhere in that range, Um, you know, because otherwise, you know, for that price, you could, you could buy, I don't know, two or three paid games a month, you know, and and still have access to them. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think you're right. And I think, um, 
you know, around the, uh, especially around the, the broader announcements, Apple plans to launch in over a hundred countries sometimes this fall, yeah. sometime this fall with the Apple TV plus service. So to, to your point, wanting to be able to differentiate pricing across countries at launch probably makes a lot of sense to, to not announce pricing for that service. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that Apple is doing unique in the past. When you saw Netflix launch, they launched uh, s- slowly a- extending into yes. to new countries, partly probably because they had to work out rights, yep. um, presuming that, you know, Apple is, is owning the content for their Apple TV plus service, then they don't need to work those things out uh, yeah. as much. And so they'll be able to at least push that piece out globally all at the same time. Um, and around the Apple Arcade pricing, I think you're probably right in the, the pricing range. It's also interesting to note that Google, which announced their cloud service, uh, gaming yeah, yeah, service right, last week, right. didn't announce any pricing. So... Hmm you know, more, more to see. Maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, wait and see from both of those players to see how that market develops. Well, in the next the, couple the, months. But the key difference is that Stadia is a cloud gaming service, right? So everything right. is streamed from their servers, much like Microsoft's xCloud that I think yep. you mentioned a few weeks ago, whereas this is something else. This is more like Xbox Live or PlayStation Plus, where it's essentially the same games you would get if you purchase them and they're downloaded and played pretty much the same way local on the device so they can be played offline it's just kind of a bundle you know the the all all you can eat within this selection and i think historically a lot of that has one difference if we compare there is that historically a lot of that has been a lot of back catalog stuff you know whereas you wanted to reserve the $60 $60 for the latest, you know, EA mega hit like Madden or something like that. Uh, we'll have to see what uh, what populates this catalog. To me, that's more interesting than the pricing. But they say that they are working with, you know, they have to balance it. They, they say they're working with a lot of premium publishers. Um, and so they have to have stuff. They, you know, it can't all just be the island of misfit games. You know, it has to be stuff that's going to have some broad appeal. Uh, and yet stuff where, for whatever reason, the developer thinks that it's better to cast a lot on this service than to try to generate it as, um, as a standalone download. So yeah. I, you know, I have the sense that Apple's going to be pushing very hard for paid games to make the transition to this service. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially in, you know, if they can sh- prove to them that the economics work for them, then then getting them to move over will well, be... Well, and one other thing, they say that these games are going to be exclusive to the store. So, right. so that means no Android port. So right. that's, another, that's another big ask. Yeah, and it's again, it goes counter to the trends that we're seeing right now in, in gaming, at least with respect to Fortnite, where you're right. seeing cross-platform ability to, yep. to join and play, and then you also see... That's um, not the model for this, for sure. Right. It's a very, very distinctly different model. So more to come on all of these fronts. Thanks for joining us for another episode of uh, TechSpansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac at Avrio Institute, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.
Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like us to cover in our next episode. And yeah, join us. Of subscriptions. Subscribe That's right. to our podcast. That's, That's right. right. Subscribe to our <laughs> podcast. Uh, it There will be no monthly fee here. <laughs> and you can uh, listen to us Anywhere. online or That's download right. us or and offline. take us on the go. So much value. That's right. <laughs> All for the uh, exciting monthly price of $0. Mm-hmm. So we uh, encourage you to continue to listen. Join us next week for our next episode of Techspansive, where we'll be covering the latest in uh, tech news. <laughs>